So now, now the difficult room, which we have to address, is going is obviously going to be the uh, the kitchen, the kitchen area. So the kitchen area is where we need to go ahead and we need to figure out uh, how we're going to get the kitchen ready for Pesach. And again, to a large degree, the same principle is at work. And that principle is the fact that what we need to do is we need to make sure that we only end up eating Pesach thicker food on, uh, on Pesach and we don't eat any Chametz thicker food. It doesn't require that the entire kitchen be Kashula Pesach. The proof that we always say is the fact that as far as I know, again, you never know when things may change, but people don't kasha their kitchen floor. So certainly there's a genuine concern of hot chametz spilling onto the, uh, onto the kitchen floor, but we don't kasha the floor because we're not concerned about the, the, uh, the, uh, that the floor being chametz thing is going to lead to me actually eating chametz on Pesach because when something falls on the floor, you just discard it. So as long as you don't see anything there, the fact that it's a chametz thick surface is completely irrelevant if it's not going to lead to something which you are going to eat. That is principle number one. Principle number two is, just like in the rest of the house, uh, those cabinets, in those drawers, in those areas where you're going to store either your chametz stick of food or your chametz stick of utensils, and you're just going to close it off, tape it off, whatever you're going to do, but it's not going to be used for the week of Pesach, you don't have to clean that either. If that area, if that cabinet or that drawer is going to be sold to the non-Jew, it's going to be sold to Ernesto, those who are selling it with me. So Ernesto, although he actually is in the cleaning business, the whole cleaning business, if he wants to go ahead and make sure that you have a clean drawer or a clean cabinet, it will be his responsibility to go ahead and come to the house and clean that drawer and cabinet which he buys. And you don't have to go ahead and spend time doing him that favor. He doesn't mind buying the drawers, even if they are filthy and filled with crumbs and filled with all sorts of puppets. Doesn't make a difference to him whatsoever. And you shouldn't spend any time uh, cleaning and preparing anything which is going to be sold to the non-Jew. Now, so that takes care of also, depending on how you run your kitchen and what you do on Pesach, that can also take care of a large amount of, of space on Pesach. Now, those surfaces which you will use, so before we get to the actual kashering, so those surfaces which you will use, there's one more factor which is important to keep in mind, one more halachic principle, and that is that a surface only becomes chametz thick when there are two uh, 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 prerequisites which occur. And they are, the prerequisites in order for something to become chametz thick is there has to be heat and there has to be liquid. So if you have hot, if you have hot uh, liquidy chametz which falls on a surface, so that will potentially be an issue in terms of uh, in terms of having to kasha. Those surfaces which do not come in contact with hot liquidy chametz are not going to be an issue. Just as, as an aside, as if you put stuff in the chat, I won't be able to get it in real time. I'm too focused on, on speaking, and I'll try to get it uh, perhaps between the things or at the end of this year. I'm just not going to be able to see it now. It's too much going on for me, too much sensory uh, <laughs> things, input at the same time. And I can't, uh, I won't be able to, uh, to do so. Um, so now, uh, for example, the, the cabinets in which you keep your stick dishes. So, or let's say even better than that, the cabinets in which you keep your kids' stick snacks. 
So it's the cookie cabinet, it's the pretzel cabinet, it's the cracker cabinet, and there's crumbs everywhere, right? You can't have more chametz than uh, leaving, you know, a, a cookie cabinet for the kids when they have free access to go ahead and take that uh, to their hearts, uh, to their hearts' delight. So there's crumbs all over the place. So it's true, there are crumbs all over the place, but when was the last time hot, liquidy chametz spilled in that cabinet? The answer is never. Because Hollywood doesn't end up over there. It's all dry chametz, which is there. So dry chametz doesn't make the surface of the cabinet become chametz. It has chametz on it, but the surface itself is not chametz. Which means that if you wipe away, as soon as you wipe away the crumbs, so that the crumbs aren't there, and if you spritz them with a 409 or a Lysol or some sort of spray, which once it comes in contact with the food, the food is ruined and it's inedible, so you don't have to worry about it any further than that. You don't want to inadvertently eat it, so that's why you want to go ahead and you want to clean it out. But you don't have to go ahead and cover that surface because the surface is actually not chametzik. In order for something halachically to be chametzik, it has to be that there was hot liquid chametz which came in contact with it, and that doesn't occur. It should not be occurring in most drawers, in most cabinets, even in the kitchen. So you'll have some surface chametz which you have to clean away, but you don't have to worry about the surface itself being chametzik. So therefore, if you're going to clean out, for example, your chametzik dishes, because you want a place to store your Pesachdik dishes, all you need to do is remove the dishes, give a quick spritz, a quick wipe. If you don't see anything there, then you can put your Pesachdik dishes down, and you don't have to worry about them becoming chametzik because just yesterday, or just an hour ago, you had a bunch of cookie crumbs which are there. Because the cookie crumbs don't make their way into the surface, and therefore you're good to go. Okay, so that is the drawers and the cabinets and the pantries and the closets, which either you're going to sell to Ernesto and you don't have to clean, or it's something which doesn't actually absorb hot liquidy chametz. So all you need to do is wipe down the surface and then you are good to go. You don't have to worry about any sort of absorption whatsoever. Okay, so now we get to the actual appliances, which we are going to be cashing. So when it comes to the appliances, we're going to go be cashing. So let's start off with our stovetop and our oven. So at this point, uh, uh, I hope that everybody has a self-cleaning oven. I hope, I hope, I hope. Um, uh, if not, uh, you can go ahead and uh, if you can figure out how to raise your hand or something on your uh, on your screen, although I may not be able to see all of you, but you'll let me know. But a self-cleaning oven is essentially self-cashing. Not that kind that they had where they used the water for a little bit, which, uh, which was not so effective. But if you have a real self-cleaning oven, so that is self-cashing. It gets to a temperature where everything inside is incinerated and uh, uh, and uh, and even if the surface has dust on it, uh, by the time you're done, so that carbon, whatever element that is, that, that carbon is not chametzik. That carbon is carbon, and it loses its chametz status, and that is not going to be a problem. Furthermore, anything which you could put into your self-cleaning oven, which will survive that concentration or that high temperature, also becomes kosher in the self-cleaning oven. Now, you have to remember, in the self-cleaning oven, the, uh, the racks which come with the oven, they are not designed to go in the self-cleaning oven. They're not going to melt, but they'll lose some of the shine and the ability to uh, uh, smoothly 
slide in and out, so you'll lose some of that in the event that you go ahead and you leave it inside in your self-cleaning cycle. But if you were to take, for example, the rack and uh, the uh, uh, from your stovetop, if you have pieces of metal which are there and they will go into your self-cleaning oven, that's what we do at this point, is everything that we take everything off of the top of the stovetop and we put it in the self-cleaning oven as well. We just want to run one cycle, takes care of the oven, takes care of the oven racks, takes care of the burner caps, it takes care of the uh, the uh, um, what the pot sits on, if I'm drawing a blank on the, on, the, on the name, but it takes care of all of those things which sit on top of your stove as well. So all of those things become kashered with a single self-cleaning uh, cycle, and that will, uh, you don't have to wait 24 hours in advance, you don't have to clean it in advance, something which is going into the self-cleaning oven, you can just do uh, right away without any uh, preparation. In the event that on your stovetop, you don't want to go ahead and, uh, and uh, cache that in your self-cleaning oven, either because you're afraid that maybe it won't survive that strong of a heat if it's not designed for that, or you don't want to be afraid that it may lose some of the shine or some of if it's uh, painted with uh, uh, some enamel coating, maybe it will damage the enamel coating. I don't know whether it will or will not. So then what we would do is, assuming that you have a gas stovetop, we'll get to electric in a minute, but assuming it's a gas stovetop, so the fire of your gas stovetop is also essentially self-cashing. So what I would tell you to do is, you just look at the grate, oh, that's what I was, the word I was looking for, you look at the grate, make sure that you don't see a big chunk of food on there, so assuming that you don't see, or if you do see a big chunk of food on there, so you wipe it off, whatever you would normally do to, uh, to clean the, uh, the grate. So you'll go ahead and you will wipe that off. And then what you want to do is you're going to take a chametz sticker pot that hasn't been used in 24 hours, and you're going to put in some water, fill it, let's say, halfway with water. The reason why you're putting in water and the reason why you're using a pot is simply because you want to spread the flame to be able to reach as much of the grate as possible. So the, the, the bottom of the pot spreads out the flame. You put in the water there because otherwise you'll burn the pot if there's no water in there. So that's why you go ahead and you, uh, you do so. So you fill that up about halfway and you let that run for about 15 minutes. You want the, 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 a pot, the, the, the wider the pot, the, the better it is. And you go ahead and you run that for 15 minutes and you can assume that the grate as well as the cap and all of those things which, uh, which sit on the, uh, on the stove, that all of those metal components or all of those enamel covered components, all of those will be captured as a result of the heat, which is generated by the burner itself. And you can do all four burners at once. You can do one at a time. It doesn't really make a difference. Uh, back in the day, before I threw everything in the self-cleaning oven, I would actually, and I had separate grates, it depends on how your, your, your uh, stovetop is set up, whether it's two long pieces which cover two burners, and they configure only in one particular way, and they fit to, like a puzzle piece, and they only fit one particular way, or if it's uh, something which each, uh, each burner has a separate grate, so I would do each grate one at a time, because I had different sized burners. I had two medium sized burners, one small burner and one large burner. So I would do each of the grates by that large burner because that one obviously produces the largest flame. So figuring the largest flame is going to be most efficient at pasturing will be the best at pasturing. So I would go ahead and I would do it in that, that way. Now, as far as the, the area in between your burners, so in the event that the, the, your stove top is metal, 
So if a stove top is metal, technically, that could be kosher. Now, most likely, the whatever comet's absorption takes place on your stove top, not by the burners, but the area between the burners, that's going to be from a spill. So you can actually have a spill of hot chametz liquid. Uh, you can have noodle soup, which is spilling over there. So that you would be able to, theoretically, you'd be able to go ahead and capture that by pouring boiling water over it, which we'll talk about in, in a little bit. However, pouring hot boiling water over a flat surface when your feet are nearby is not a safe activity. Uh, we've spent a lot of time this past year focused on our safety and our health and our well-being and not putting our lives or, uh, or part of our lives at risk. And we should carry that into Pesach, at the very least. Maybe after Pesach, we could be done with all of this. But at least uh, through Pesach, so we have to keep our attention very closely focused on making sure that we are safe. So I have never captured the area in between the burners. I find it much easier to go ahead and just take some heavy-duty tinfoil and just spread it out over that surface. You have to press it into the various indentations and whatnot to match the shape. But I do, just for uh, just to be cautious, my footrail is I do two layers of tinfoil over the, uh, the stovetop. And with that, I cover everything, poke holes in order to allow the gas to escape. You don't want to forget to do that because that would be bad. But you go ahead and you poke holes for the gas to escape. And I put everything back on top of that, that, that surface. And I don't cash the rest of the stovetop. I don't really clean it so well. I just do a quick wipe over it just to make sure that there's no major pieces which would get in the way of the tinfoil. But once the surface is covered with your heavy-duty uh, uh, aluminum foil, so you don't have to be worried about absorbed comet's taste, which is there, getting through the tinfoil. It's not going to be able to make its way through the tinfoil to be able to get to your food. You've now contained it under that tinfoil. And since you've contained it under that tinfoil, so you are good to go as far as, as, far as that. Um, as far as the uh, back to uh, your oven, uh, so any, everything which is inside of the seal of your self-cleaning oven, so that, as we said, is self-cashier. The area which is outside of that seal, you have that sort of like mesh uh, thing over there. So that actually does not get uh, fully kosher. That's not subjected to the same intense heat as the inside of the oven. So for that, in the event that that gets dirty, so what you would need to do is you would need to use whatever normal oven cleaner that you use, and you follow the instructions on the, uh, on the spray can. And you do it once, see if you can get it all off, spray it a second time if it didn't come off the first time, if it doesn't come off that by the second time, so then it, it, it's certainly not edible. It's certainly not something which is just, it, it should be a thin layer which adheres to the surface, but it's not something, there's not really food which is left in there. So once you've tried to clean it twice, and then you ran the self-cleaning cycle on the rest of the oven anyways, so we consider that to be, uh, to be kosher and to be ready to go, and we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about that. So that is as far as your stovetop and your oven is concerned when it comes to us well, on ovens. When it comes to your toaster oven, so it may be possible to go ahead and kosher a toaster oven, but as uh, those who've been attending the, uh, the shear for years know, when it comes to these appliances, 20 years ago, 
or 20, whatever year, many years ago, when we first, when I first became uh, became Rav. So a lot of the discussion had to do with which appliances you can cash for Pesach, which of these minor appliances you cannot, your mixer and your blender and your all of those different uh, different things, your toaster and your toaster oven, all of those things. Uh, at this point, uh, I tell everybody that the best thing to do, how, even halakhically, is buy one from Pesach. Don't bother trying to kosher your toaster oven for Pesach. Toaster ovens are pretty cheap. You only have to buy it once, assuming you have the storage uh, space to be able to put it with your other Pesach stuff, so it should last you the rest of your life. You're using it a week, maybe, once you take Yontif out of the equation, you're using it maybe a total of a week per year, and that should last you till 120, or at least till you're going to your children for Pesach, and you don't need it anymore anyways. So, but it should last you until that point, and that small investment should pretty much take care of things so you don't have to worry about the, the halakhic questions involved in kashra. So that is what I would tell you to do for your, uh, for your, uh, your toaster oven. I would tell you to do the same thing, if possible, for your microwave oven. Microwave oven really is, uh, I find, to be a very difficult uh, utensil to, uh, to kashra. If you look into all of the, the, uh, the pamphlets which come out and the magazines which come out about it, so they still talk about kashering it by putting in a cup of water or a few cups of water. In, after you clean out the surface, wait 24 hours, then boiling up some water in there so that it fills with steam. Um, I have yet to uh, see my microwave oven fill up with steam because our microwaves have a pretty good exhaust system, a pretty good venting system that is specifically designed that it should not fill up with steam. So if that's your goal, it's unlikely that that's going to happen. And I find the microwave oven to be particularly problematic because anybody who's made a tradition soup in a microwave oven knows that most, uh, usually what happens is, is that it explodes. And when you have an exploding tradition soup in your microwave oven, that means you have boiling hot noodles, which are splattered all over all the surfaces which means that in order to cash it, you have to replicate that, and you have to somehow get that boiling hot liquid to be able to reach all the surface, not just the floor, but it's got to reach the walls and it's got to reach the ceiling. And as we'll discuss when we talk about the sink, getting boiling stuff to go upwards, gravity pulls things down, because I'm in the science, one of the science rooms over here. So gravity pulls things downwards to have uh, hot liquid spritz upwards in an, in an efficient manner is a challenge. Besides the fact that the surface is plastic, and many times, in, the, in many posts, are of the opinion that we don't kosher plastic for, uh, for Pesach. So for that reason, I would uh, recommend getting a microwave oven. Again, it'll be used for a week, a week and a half at most per year. It should be able to last you as long as uh, you're continuing to, uh, to, uh, to make Pesach. And it's not even such a major investment just to get a, a simple tabletop uh, microwave, uh, microwave oven. So that is as far as the ovens are concerned. And that usually is the, uh, the, 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 the biggest difficulty is going to be the oven. Let's now move down to uh, an appliance which is a little bit easier before we get to, uh, to the sink of the countertops. So the refrigerator and the freezer are also relatively simple. Now again, as I told somebody uh, that uh, uh, you should follow what I say and not what I do, Meaning, what I tell you in the shear, and that what you may actually see me do in my house. Because in my house, I am not the rough or the posting. I just follow orders in the, in the house. So I go ahead and I end up uh, cleaning out the, uh, the refrigerator uh, uh, very thoroughly. But like we said before, earlier, 
when it comes to the, uh, the uh, absorption of taste, when it comes to a surface becoming chametzlik, so we said that there are two prerequisites which are necessary, and they are, the, uh, it has to be heat, and it has to be liquid. So in the refrigerator, in the freezer, it is a cold environment. So the cold environment of the refrigerator and the freezer works to your advantage that if whatever liquid spills becomes, hits a cold surface and becomes cold almost immediately, that means that it doesn't have a chance to get absorbed into the surface. So all, if you're going to use your refrigerator and freezer on Pesach, what you need to do is you need to clean it from surface chametz. You wipe it down to make sure that you don't see something which, which is there. And as long as you don't really see something which is there, that's going to come in contact with your food, so then it's not, it's not going to be a problem. It doesn't have to be this thorough, thorough uh, uh, cleaning, which makes it look as good as new. Uh, one of the advantages of chametz is the fact that it's an inanimate object. Inanimate object means, and the fact that we have a uh, laws of gravity, so that means that chametz crumbs which may be on the bottom of your refrigerator, they're not going to be able to jump up and dive into your kneiroch. They're not going to be able to jump up and dive into whatever chicken or meat that you're planning on serving at the uh, the seder. It's impossible for it to get from the bottom surface into the food unless it is manually moved over to that location, which is not going to happen. So although it's not geschmack, to see, uh, you know, echi chametz, which is a, a spill on the bottom of the refrigerator or the freezer, in halachic terms, it's not going to be a problem. On top of which, not only is it unlikely that the surface of your refrigerator or freezer is actually chametzik, because of the cold environment, as we said, but on top of that, you are not going to be putting any of your Pesach Dika food directly in contact with any of those surfaces. Your Pesach Dika food will almost certainly be in a container. If you're making kugel, if you're making chicken, if you're making meat, you're not going to go ahead and store that in the refrigerator just by throwing the piece of chicken onto the shelf of your refrigerator. It's going to be in some sort of 9 by 13 pan or some sort of Pesach uh, uh, baking dish, and that's where it's going to sit. So again, you have the dish itself, which is a barrier preventing the chametz from being able to get in there. So the refrigerator and the freezer, you're certainly going to want to remove all the chametz which is there. If you go ahead and you wipe it down uh, relatively um, uh, superficially so that you don't really see large pieces of chametz which are there. So all of that is, uh, you're really good to go as far as, that, as far as that is concerned. What I end up having to do is, uh, just in case you, you do end up having to do a more thorough thing, is I run a hot bath. I turn just the hot water on into the bath and I, uh, I spritz in a bunch of dish soap. And as I dismantle the refrigerator, so I bring all of those glass shelves and I let it soak in the hot bath. So while I'm wiping down the walls and the floor to make sure that there's no large amount of hummus which is there, that stuff is soaking in the bath. And then you take it out one at a time and you give it a quick wipe down and then it's ready to go back into the refrigerator and then you are, uh, then you are good to go. And this is going to be true, both of the refrigerator as well as the freezer. If you want, if you don't have uh, sufficient storage space, and you want to go ahead and leave some chametzika stuff in the refrigerator or the freezer, so that is acceptable. 
You could sell a shelf to Ernesto, or you could sell a drawer which contains chametz to Ernesto. But what you need to be very certain of is is that it's uh, it's uh, wrapped in such a way, or it's marked off in such a way where you won't inadvertently grab some of it on Pesach and end up eating it. So you want to go ahead and put, you know, perhaps put all of it in whatever uh, storage thing it normally is in, and then put a jewel bag or a Hungarian bag around that as an added layer of protection, just as a reminder, just in case you grab it, you look at it and say, why is this stuff in the jewel bag in my, in my freezer? And then you remember, oh yeah, this is stuff which I sold as, as comments, and that's why it's there, and that will keep you from inadvertently using it on, the, on Pesach. But the refrigerator and the freezer also should not be an intimidating um, uh, endeavor in order to get it ready for uh, for uh, for Pesach. Now, countertops. So countertops also, depending on its proximity to the sink or its proximity to your, your stovetop, so it may occur that uh, hot chametz, hot liquid chametz spills on the countertop, which would make the countertop chametz thing. So then you have the CRC in their booklet, they have a whole chart, a page and a half, I think, of a chart, of all of the different surface materials that your uh, uh, that your countertop may be made from, the CRC is of the opinion that you can kosher plastic, uh, if I remember correctly. So they, they have a lot more things, a lot more materials which they would kosher than I would kosher. But either way, if you're going to be koshering it, in all likelihood, what you're going to be have to do is that also is going to necessitate the use of boiling water on a flat surface near your feet. And as we said before, boiling water on a flat surface when your feet are nearby is not a healthy pursuit. It's not something that, uh, that you should be doing. And I find it much easier to go ahead and, again, just do a quick wipe down of the surface and cover the countertop with either... Um, um, uh, shelving paper, the self-adhesive shelving paper, or whatever whatever is going to last for you, a couple layers of, of tinfoil, whatever is going to last for you is going to be fine, but I find that to be much easier than the endeavor of trying to go ahead and kosher it, because remember, uh, when you're kashering with boiling water, it's not enough for to just spill some water and let it spread by itself so that the whole surface gets wet. In order for to kosher it correctly, what you need to do is the stream of water that's coming out of the pot, the stream of boiling water which is coming out of the pot, that, has, that stream has to touch every surface. And once it hits the surface and then begins to spread, that spreading of water is not effective to kasha. So it's, and you have to be very, very thorough. You have to be very, very uh, patient in doing so. And it's something which, uh, for me, it's not worth the, uh, the time and the effort to do so. I find it much easier and much, uh, much better to go ahead and uh, just to, to cover those surfaces. But if you have a material which is a stone material or you have a metal material of a countertop, so those are cosherable and technically you'd be able to do so. And we'll talk about using a steamer uh, in a moment when we talk about the, uh, when we talk about the, uh, the sink. Okay, so just to make sure that we're, uh, we're, uh, we're uh, making progress over here. So we talked about the oven and the stovetop. We talked about the refrigerator. We talked about the uh, um, countertops. So I think that really leaves the, uh, the sink. So when it comes to the sink, so a, uh, a, um, uh, a stainless steel sink, is, stainless steel is casual. A sink which is made of a stone material is also a casherable material. 
those which are made of, uh, of uh, uh, perhaps uh, an enamel or those which are made of ceramic, so those are going to be problematic. I don't know how many people have that anymore. I think for the most part, people have either the, uh, the uh, stainless steel or they have something which would be a stone type of thing, which is cashable. If not, you'll let me know when we, uh, when we take questions. But theoretically, the way that you would kosher a stainless steel sink is when you're kosher with more than water, so you have to make sure that the surface is completely clean. That's prerequisite number one. And you also have to make sure that it was not used for hot comets for 24 hours before you do the kosher. So this year, where Erev Pesach is going to be on Shabbos, so very often the convenient time to give your 24 hours for your sink of non-use before kashering is you do it the Shabbos before Pesach. But this year, the Shabbos before Pesach is a whole week in advance. That may not work out for you because what are you going to eat, you know, unless you're already fully Pesach like in the kitchen by the, uh, by the week before. But you're going to have to find a 24-hour period in advance where you don't use it for any hot comets. Then what you do, as we said, is you boil up a bunch of water, and when the water comes to a rolling boil, so you begin, you may have to make sure, as I said, have to make sure that the sink is clean, and you have to make sure that the sink is dry, so that when the boiling water is being poured onto the surface of the sink, so it's being poured onto a dry surface. If it's a wet surface, that will already cool off the boiling water and make it ineffective as far as kashrut. Now, to go ahead and do the bottom of the sink, that's not, that's not so bad. Uh, it's a little scary when that cloud of steam jumps up in your face. So anticipate that and, uh, and don't be scared by that. But once you're past that fear, so what you need to make sure is you need to make, as we said, that the stream of water, which is coming out of the pot, is an uninterrupted stream. And that stream has to hit the entire surface. So you have to think of it like a Zamboni that you're going back and forth and back and forth so that the stream keeps on going and you end up hitting the entire surface of the, uh, uh, of the, of the sink. Now, the floor of the sink is not so bad because gravity takes water downwards. When you're trying to do the walls of the sink, that's where it becomes a challenge because uh, water normally doesn't go horizontally, straight horizontal. Uh, it has a tendency to, to want to arc downwards. That's uh, one of the effects of gravity. So I was never clear how exactly I'm going to efficiently and moreover confidently know that I had the stream of boiling water hitting the sides of the oven so that I can be absolutely certain that, uh, that, that, I, cautioned it, uh, that I cautioned it correctly. So a number of years back, uh, people started exploring the possibility of using a steamer a commercial steamer of sorts or a clothing steamer, because with the steamer, depending on how it's, it's made, but you could go ahead and you could actually have the steam go out of the nozzle horizontally. And then you could actually have a much more efficient way of being able to, uh, to kasha the surface. And you could actually follow, as I said, like a Zamboni, just making lines one above the other, above the other, working your way up slowly and meticulously, but you can make your way up the side of the walls of the, of the sink in a manner where you could be certain that the steam, the hot steam came out of the thing and actually hit that, uh, that surface. So I find it to be a more effective means of kashering in the sense that I'm confident that the boiling water, the boiling steam, which is coming out, is actually hitting each, each centimeter, whatever it is, but it's not a quick thing. 
If you, if you find that it's, it's fast uh, and you're saving yourself time by using the steamer, so you're probably doing it too quickly and you're not doing it uh, correctly. So the steamer is something which is, is, a, is a slow, meticulous process in order to be able to, uh, to get it uh, done. But as I said, halakhically, I have much greater confidence in using the steamer than in trying to take a pot of water and try and you know, splash it horizontally so that I should get all those surface and to make sure that I'm hitting the entire surface, the entire walls, all four walls of the sink in a way with, a, uh, with just a splashing type of motion. I never found that to be effective and I haven't had anybody be able to show me how they are able to do that uh, 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 effectively. So I use a steamer in that regard. There's different types of steamers and there's a whole discussion which, uh, which I have with various of them in town about uh, the criteria for the, uh, the, the steamer, but the one which, uh, which I use is the one which I showed to Rabbi first. I brought it to his house uh, one year Pesach a number of years ago, and I showed him how it works and what it does, and he said that that was good. So once I showed him that one, and that one continues to be available, so that's the one which we recommended. Somebody is looking to buy it. Um, I think this is the expensive season <laughs> when it's sold. You're much, it's much cheaper if you buy it Hanukkah time than buy it now. But if anybody wants that link, so you can reach out to me uh, by email or by text or whatever, and I'll be happy to send you that Amazon link in order to be able to get that one, which at least I know that, uh, that he looked at and, and he used. So that steamer, so I use the steamer for the sink. I don't pour boiling water from a pot. I use the, uh, the steamer, and I use that for the the floor, the walls, as well as the nozzle itself. My nozzle is also is, is, is metal, and I just use a steamer and I go up that, that surface as well. Um, at the end of the nozzle where you have the aerator, uh, it's not uncommon, I think it's very, it actually is very, quite common, that you have schmutz which gets in there. That schmutz may very well be actual hummets, and since you're going to be using your water coming out of that thing on the, uh, for, uh, for Pesach, so it would be wise to take off an aerator and make sure to clean that off from any visible, uh, any visible comments. So that will take care of the, uh, the sink. Once the sink is kosher with the boiling water, it doesn't need to be covered. But again, you have to be very, very thorough in terms of cleaning it ahead of time, leaving the 24 hours, and making sure that the steam is going to hit all of those, uh, all of those surfaces. Um, now, last thing is, I, I don't know if anybody still caches silverware at home. Um, I don't know, I, I didn't check it in, in the CRC booklet, but in years past, both the Aguda as well as the CRC had uh, designated nights where they were cashering, they would cash your silverware for you. And for years already, I've been telling everybody, there's no reason you should do it at home. Just go to one of their uh, industrial-sized kitchens, industrial-sized pot. They'll put it in the boiling water for you. They'll take it out for you. You don't have to think about it at all. You don't have to uh, know any of the procedure. You just make sure that it's clean. It hasn't been used for 24 hours, and they will do the cashing for you. I'm assuming that they have that uh, available this year as well. Uh, in the event that they do not, and you need to kosher it on your own, so you'll give me a call and I will give you instructions as far as that is concerned. Um, I think that is it as far as uh, appliance, as far as the kitchen is concerned. Uh, if I forgot something, um, does anybody want to unmute themselves? If anybody has any questions on this, otherwise we'll move on to part three. I, I would like to ask a question, a couple yes. of questions. Uh, first of all, First of all, when you have um, a top of a stove that's a glass top, could yes. you just go over how you kosher that? 
Yeah, so a, a glass, uh, the, the glass uh, stovetop, where it's all one flat surface, and you just have circles, so that presents a number of halakhic issues uh, to, to have it. Uh, so uh, when remodeling your kitchen, so that would not be a stovetop of choice, but those who have it already, so the problem, the, the problem that we have as far as Pesach is concerned is that the circle where the pot rests on the stovetop, that part of the glass is heat-tempered, the area in between those circles is not heat-tempered. It's not designed to be able to handle heat. So, and stuff probably spills on that, uh, that flat surface over there in between those, those circles. So you have to treat that area in between the circles as chametzik. Sorry, I didn't get back to the electric uh, stovetop, but you're right. Uh, so the area in between, you wipe down, you you're going to clean it just so there's nothing visible there. But in the event that any hot food falls on it, which you wanted to use for Pesach, you could, should, should consider that food to be chametzik, and it should be discarded. So just the circle is kasher. You wipe down the surface, make sure that it's visibly clean, assuming that the coils beneath get red hot, uh, leave it on at whatever its highest setting is for 10 minutes, and then that circle is considered to be kosher and ready for use for Pesach. But the area in between, you can't cover it, because if you cover it so the heat reflects downwards and it'll crack, and that'll cost you a pretty penny to go ahead and replace that, uh, that glass. Uh, so you have to treat it as just a hobbit stick, and uh, any food which falls there has to be, it has to be discarded. If you, and somebody who has a regular uh, electric stovetop, uh, so you're also going to want to go ahead and you're going to want to clean the, uh, the, the, the burner uh, from any visible chametz. If it gets red hot, if there are coils which get red hot, so you turn it on to the highest setting, and after that's been going for, as we said, like 10 minutes, so that's considered to be kosher. In the event that it doesn't get red hot, it just remains black, but it, it's getting hot, so then they say you should leave it on for 15, 20 minutes, something like that, just to burn out any taste which may have been absorbed into the, uh, into the burner itself. But that's how you would do the, uh, the electric stovetop. So that was uh, number one, Charlene. What else? Uh, the other question is, you said a continuous stream for pouring the boiling water on the, on the sink. Yeah. Can, you, can you do like a section of the sink, like um, the right side of the sink and a continuous stream and then drive the sink and then do the front of the sink? Yes, yes. It, it, when casting with boiling water can be done in stages like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, with, with, with the steamer, so I do the floor first and then I, I wipe it, then I dry it and then I start doing the walls one by one. You know, work my way up, and then you know, if the, the steamer runs out of steam—not <laughs> even figuratively, but literally—it runs out of steam. So then I go, I have to refill it, and I have to uh, you know pick up where I left off. So when I pick up where I left off, so I will dry the surface where I last was, and try and pick it up from there. You know, try and visualize the spot, whatever it is, and to be able to work up from there. And when you pour the water, I, this has always bothered me. Like the water that runs down, isn't that like trafe going on the on the part that's that's now kosher, that's koshered? Um, so no, so since you waited the 24 hours before koshering, whatever comments that get taste, you may be extracting once it's not once it's more than 24 hours old, it's what we call no saying time of gum. It gives off an iffy taste, and once it's giving off an iffy taste, so it doesn't re-chametzify, if we could coin that term, it won't re-chametzify that surface below. I see. That's why we wait 24 hours when we're costuming with, uh, with boiling water, specifically so that shouldn't happen. Okay. I have a question. Thank you. Can we just 
clasher the bottom and then the sides just cover with foil. Yes, that, 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 that will work too. Yeah, the, 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 the difficulty um, uh, with, uh, with uh, the, the, doing that on the sides is finding a tape which is going to, um, which won't wash away over the course of the, all the water which will be there for the week. So they make some pretty good tapes, but one of the downsides of, of the good quality tapes is sometimes they leave the adhesive behind when you take them off. So that's always going to be a challenge. So I don't have any liability insurance as far as any of that is concerned. But halakhically, yes, you could go ahead and you could cover the sides with tinfoil and just cost you the uh, bottom. Anything else as far as uh, caution within the kitchen, cleaning within the house? Okay. What age kids do you have to worry about eating off the floor? Um, yeah, so the, the, the kids, you don't have to worry so, uh, so much uh, for that. It's, uh, you, want, you want to clean it, but if they grab it on their own, uh, if something hot were to fall and they grab it on their own and they eat it, so uh, you don't have to make yourself crazy as far as uh, that is concerned. I have one other question. Yeah. And that's, if, you, if you're washing down your countertops before yeah. you pasture them, can you just, do you have to use like kitchen cleanser or some strong detergent or you know they have these um magic the magic sponges sponges which really cleans things very well without using any kind of detergent so i'm wondering do you need to use a detergent no the only, the only reason to use a detergent is uh, in case you leave behind a crumb so if it was spritzed with a detergent so that you've ichified it but if, if you if you wipe it down and there's no crumbs there, so then you don't need to use the detergent. Detergent only if you miss crumbs, if you're worried about missing crumbs. If there's not going to be any crumbs that you're left behind, so then you've got a clean surface, so you're, you're, you're fine. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, Guvalid. So that is part two in the can. Yes.